Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the Imperfectly Perfect podcast. And like I do before I get going, I love to tell you about the, the incredible guest that's coming on today. But before we start, I met this lady. I was introduced to her from a mutual friend, from a ripple effect that was introduced to them through another person. And basically, we, we've essentially aligned with each other, made a great friendship. Um, this person is just, just going in the Yorkshire sense, health and leather in what she does. Like she leads the path in terms of the corporate sector. And in a way, I wanted to talk about disrupting corporate silence and bringing another way that we're talking about mental health. So today we have got Raquel Burris, who is the founder and chief excitement officer of True To You Branding. Her passion is to help you bring to life a personal brand that is true to you. Raquel's expertise in social media and branding started with LinkedIn, where she studied the other social media models and influencers. Love that. Because of a love for people and talent for audience engagement, her social media presence continues to increase very quickly. And guys, that means very bloody quickly if you know this lady. (laughs) (laughs) Raquel believes that bringing valuable content, authenticity and vulnerability to your social media is the key to gaining a strong following and presence. Now, that being said, although she's got an incredible social media presence and she's a prolific figure in terms of the corporate world, who I know her as, who I've come to know her as, is Raquel. And she's got an incredible story, inspirational story that she is going to share with us today because attributing to the campaign, it is all about mental health and what we've gone through so that people can essentially take away ways in which that people have overcome. So what we tend to see with mental health is that somebody may try a certain way, it doesn't work for them, they tend to give up hope. So hopefully through the campaign and through everybody's different stories, they can see that never to give up, to keep trying different ways. So today, welcome Raquel Boris. How are you? Good, how are you? Oh, I mean, perfectly perfect with that bio and that start there, but... <laughs> <laughs> love it. I love it. <laughs> so I, suppose, I suppose, first off, we'll, we'll get talking about your incredible career, because, wow, when I was introduced to you on... on uh, basically, it was through LinkedIn, and I know that's not such a a big resource that I was using because essentially it was formally used as a professional way to communicate, put your resume on there. But times are changing, aren't they? It's literally yeah. like Facebook of the professionals now. Yeah. It's, I think um, it's like the less glamorous social media platform, right? Cause <laughs> yeah, yeah. Facebook and Instagram, you could do all the fancy stuff and the filters and, and you know, it's like showcasing your life and you can do it in a way that's just super glamorous and sexy and LinkedIn. <laughs> You know, when it started was all about posting your resume, trying to find a job. You had recruiters on there. So it was purely business. And you can only do so much when, you, when you're on that type of platform, right? But it's definitely taken a shift. I've noticed it, I want to say, in the last couple of years. I've been on LinkedIn since 2000, 2000, 2013. So what, two years ago, 2018, I think when they introduced video, um, I think that's when, when people started, you know, experimenting on there uh, a little bit more. And now I've seen it definitely go towards more of like a Facebookish feel. But the greatest thing about LinkedIn and why so many people are starting to get on that platform is that when people are on that platform, they're more intentional. They're on there because they actually want to gain value. They want to grow their careers. They want to grow. They want to have personal growth. So it's not like getting on there and just being a voyeur and going down a rabbit hole of seeing people's, you know, posts and rants about religion or politics or their families or pictures of food or, you know, stuff that I think at some point it just gets saturated with nonsense. Mm 
And I feel like LinkedIn, it's uh, it, people just take it more seriously when they get on it. So it's it's you're getting people's attention much quicker. Yeah, and, and going towards that attention, you certainly got everyone's attention um, when you posted. And was it was it two days ago? A year a year ago? Two days? Yeah. So being that it's Mental Health Awareness Month in the United States, so the month of May, they, they acknowledge it. And so last year in May, um, it might have been next like. The anniversary might have been next week of that video, but I wanted to post in the beginning of May. But either way, it was last year uh, in May that one of my friends, who's actually the president of a mortgage company, very visible on LinkedIn, you know, he's a leader and he's someone that's very well respected. Well, oddly enough, before May, we were at a conference together in April. And we sat at the bar and we just started opening up and he started talking about mental illness in his family. I started opening up about my story and he feels very strongly about it. And he's like, Raquel, you need to like start sharing your story. And I said, I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready for that. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, then comes May. He did a post about how we need to break the stigma and the narrative needs to change. And his video was so poignant that I thought, gosh, you know what? Like, this is when someone like me, who everyone thinks has this perfect life, because what I put out there, you know, I'm putting out happy, go lucky, fun. You know, I thought, gosh, if someone's going to kind of break the stigma in this corporate world and change the narrative, it has to be someone like me who has an audience and has a platform. And I don't know what, how, how I got the courage to do it, but I just grabbed my phone. I was like, it's just going to be the first take. I'm just going to speak from the heart. And I did get emotional on that, you know, video. And I just shared my story about how when I was in college, I fell into a very deep depression. I was already struggling with a lot of mental stuff. And, and I just like slipped right into this really, really dark place. And it was such a dark place that I just, I didn't want to live anymore. I thought, what's the point of living? Who give, no one's going to give a shit about me. Like who cares? I was in bed all day long for days. I wasn't eating and I was like, screw it. And so one night I just decided like, I'm going to just take all my antidepressant pills that I have. I'm going to take my roommate's antidepressant pills and I'm going to drink a bottle of wine. And I remember like I, this part of it, I haven't spoken about very much. And it was that sense of euphoria that night. I'll never forget. I was like, this is it. Like I was playing classical music. I was just feeling euphoric. I like had really sat in that moment of like, this is it. Like life is done. Like I'm going to go to sleep and I'm not going to wake up. And this is going to be great. Like that's how I was thinking in that moment. And the next day I woke up, I think at like five and I was shaking. My body was obviously like in shock. And I don't know. I told my best friend roommate, like, Hey, I did something really stupid last night. And she's like, what are you talking about? And I told her and she left the room. Two seconds later, she came back with um, the phone in her hand. My parents on the phone. She's like, tell your parents what you just told me. And I was like, hey, mom and dad, I tried to kill myself last night. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was very, and the first thing they told my best friend was like, bring her home. And so I remember she called UCLA medical school, like the medical, the hospital, because she wanted to make sure I didn't need to go in and get my stomach pumped. Um, they, they, she called them and they're like, you know what? She just needs to get it out of her system. 
And I just remember, yeah, like shaking and I just was like in this weird fog and they took me home. They took me home and I had left UCLA and I was going to therapy, I think twice a week. And I was, then this is the thing. And once again, something I don't really talk about. I was already going to therapy. I got on antidepressants. I truly believe it was those suicidal thoughts were from any, any, the medication. And, you know, I don't know in Australia if they do this, but here they have a lot of commercials for kind of like, hey, did you take this antidepressant drug? Did you have, you know, suicidal thoughts? Because you can basically sue. Because I guess that was, a, it became a known fact that in the first couple weeks of taking antidepressants, certain ones, you were going to have suicidal thoughts. It was going to happen. And I think that's what, that's exactly what happened. Because I'd only been on the, the pills for less than two weeks. Just just yeah. for um, a tribute to that, basically, um, a lady that I met through this campaign, become a good friend, actually, just like yourself. And we've been talking, she actually lost a husband who came out of the army. He had severe PTSD, and he was actually prescribed by, by a clinical uh, psychologist to, to be medicated. And even on the bottle, it said... Side effects can be suicidal ideation. And yeah. he, he, he did take his life. So Australia has actually, she fought for it and his family to be recognized. Um, and now Australia are making change in, in towards that. But we don't have such things as anything running through kind of networks at the moment. So I like that America are doing that. And it's, it's becoming more prevalent going, have you taken this? Have you taken that? So, yeah, I think more and more people realize now when they take it, I think they do make it a point of like, hey, this is going to be normal that you're going to start thinking that you need to take your life. And I didn't know that at the time, like I had no idea, you know, and so no one ever said anything. So I'm thinking in my head, like, okay, this is like part of my depression. Right. Um, but yeah, so anyways, I, I went home and and um, and I and it's all a fog for me, like the timeline. I don't even remember really like when it happened. All I know is that eventually, like, I got better. So I went back to UCLA and I just, it just triggered a lot of stuff. And so I ended up leaving and going back to San Diego. And then that's, I think, when I started talking to my ex-husband and ended up out here. Um, but yeah, I mean, going back to that video, you know, I just felt like, okay, let me be someone that breaks the silence. And, but I'll have to tell you, when I posted, when I put post and hit that button, I had a panic attack. I did because I was like, what did I just do? I'm like, not only did I just share my story, but I shared it on LinkedIn. Like, this is a business platform. Like, people are going to berate me. Like, I think people are going to be so angry with me and they're going to be like, feel like I was being disrespectful. I don't know. I just had suddenly had all these things in my head. At the time, sorry, sorry to interrupt. At the time, did you have a big profile and a presence on there? Yes, but this is like now looking back, I realized that I had, because this is when I talk about social media and branding with people and I consult with them. I tell them, you know what? If you're going to start sharing yourself and doing that, which is important, you have to gain the trust of your following, of your network. And I think that's the thing is that I had already been on LinkedIn for a while. So I gained a good following. I gained a good network of people that I could trust. And I think that's why I did it because I felt like I could share that about myself with them and they were going to be okay with it, even though it freaked me out. But it was true. They, I trusted them and they trusted me. And let me tell you, the minute I pressed post, I started getting phone calls, texts, messages like instantly. And the, in, and all of them were like, you are so brave. You are so brave. Oh my gosh, you were so courageous. 
thank you for sharing. Like you were an incredible human being to be able to open yourself in that way. Oh my gosh, to be that vulnerable. Like, wow, you're such a strong person. I mean, things that I didn't think that I was going to hear from people. I thought it was going to be the opposite. I think people would be like, you're, what are you doing? Um, and in that moment, when I got such amazing feedback, I realized like, holy crap, people need to hear stories. Like they're craving people to talk, to share these type of, you know, um, experiences being vulnerable because then it makes them realize like, it's okay for them to talk about it. And that's, was like the biggest game changer for me on LinkedIn was like, okay, yeah, this is a business platform, but we're still people. There's still people behind the business. And so I just started pushing the envelope even more. Cause once again, like I was able to realize, I realized that my, my following my audience, my network, they cared about me. Like they were supporting me. They were there for me. And so I just started sharing more and more and, um, and then just sharing it again on Monday being that I have like maybe 6,000 more followers than I did last year. Now I'm getting an influx again of people reaching out to me and sharing their story. But now more and more people are doing that on LinkedIn. Like I've seen other people share um, about mental health. So it's definitely becoming something that that's being accepted in this community on LinkedIn, in the corporate world. And um, I love it. Like I, I love it. I was kind of like in the forefront of it um, because, and I was telling you before that I kind of like having these light bulb moments where, you know, I didn't talk about it because we're shame, guilt. I had all those like horrible feelings behind it and never in a million years until recently have I realized like, holy crap, I was supposed to experience that. The attempt failed. I'm here. My purpose yeah. is to help others. So the fact that you and I were introduced to each other when we were like, it's all coming together in a way where I'm like, this is what is meant to happen. Like so I am was meant to go through that and, and it's given me such strength and it's just, yeah, it's like, it's making me realize like, holy smokes, like at age 44, now I understand like where I'm supposed to be. It's, it, it's a beautiful thing to watch. And I've never told you this actually, because I was only working the timeline out of when we met around around Julian and everything. So Julian, yeah. another mutual friend of ours for those listening, but um, pretty much I got invited out of the blue by uh, a prolific figure in Australia. He's an actor, he's called Sox Otto. He's very well known for theater and TV. And he invited me and um, another mutual friend who'd come on the campaign, Kat Hoyas, to one of his new plays. And didn't really know the premise other than he said, I think you'll like it. So this was just prior to meeting you and why you talk about like, I think it's so much bigger than us and serendipitous moments and people are brought together for a certain thing. I think I went through adversity to where I am now and it's made me understand and be, I've always been an empath, but getting back to that story, we went and watched this show and the whole premise was based on, there was a therapist in the middle of the room and there was different people and the light was shining on each person's different stories. So Socks actually, he was... He was the director and creative mastermind behind it over a, a, an original screenplay that had been written, but one of the actors couldn't make it. So he was playing. So he was going through severe anxiety. And then there was a mother who was dealing with parenthood and couldn't cope and all talking to the therapist. But one that stood out was a guy 
that since I've become friends with and done his podcast called um, Grant Linden. Now, he played the role of a corporate high flyer, a CEO. And I'd never looked at this perspective before. I know it's prevalent in that industry, but he was so good. It was like the suit on and the flashy cars and, and all this kind of stuff. And then suddenly it spiraled out of control and he didn't know how to cope with it. And it just showed his life unraveling and then just breaking down. Now for me to see a guy cry on camera, it's so, it's so powerful. And yeah, when I see Roman cry, it's like, that's woo. (laughs) And it, it goes back to me thinking in my head, God, I need to tell the story of corporate. I need to disrupt corporate silence. Furthermore, probably a week later, Kim, another mutual friend from Talk Purpose and Truth, had connected me to a guy called Julian Sardo, and we got on the phone, and he was like, you need to meet Raquel. Raquel Boris is amazing. She, she's disrupting that corporate presence, talking, and it all aligned. It, it, it was like a ripple effect. And we've met, and it feels like I've known you for 10 years. I know. Cool. And the, what I see you post on your socials, and then now you've become aligned and partnered up with the Imperfectly Perfect campaign, Wow, to see the people's response. And I always bring it back, in a sense, to the campaign, to people who's come on board. And one I will say to anybody listening, Raquel is the most humblest person you will ever meet in the, in the terms that you always don't associate yourself with when you go, there is quite a few big names on there, and then there's me. And I'm like, you are such a prolific figure in corporate. You're an influential person. So... <laughs> I love the humbleness, but never, never put yourself down to what you've achieved oh. and what you've done. But um, the question I would go to, when you first saw the campaign, or when you first told your story, should I say, and you saw mm-hmm. that response, what, what did you think? Because some of the people on the campaign, when they've seen that image of themselves, or they've had messages from people who then told their story, they couldn't believe that they could use a platform in this way. What, what was your take in the corporate sector? Well, that was the same thing. Like, holy smokes, I have this platform and I'm using it in a very different way than everybody, than everybody else's. And I like standing out. Like, it's funny. It's kind of ironic that I like to push the envelope and I like to go against the grain because I pretty much feel like my depression um, was led by the fact that I was wanted to be perfect. I would, my family dynamic was where I was the perfect one. Everyone relied on me for, for everything. And so I had to always hold it together and just be, I was always the rule follower. I was like, I remember my cousins and my aunts and uncles, they used to call me Miss, Mrs. Francis Parker. Now, Francis Parker is the high school that I went to, but because I was such a like, no, you got to do this. You got to do that. They would make fun of me and call me like I was a teacher. Right. So The fact that here I was putting myself in this box and I was worried about what other people were going to think of me and I had to do everything in a certain way and I was very OCD, like, and I still have a little bit of OCD, but I was very OCD and and very obsessive, just very obsessive compulsive. And so the fact that like now I'm like, screw that, I want to be different is is kind of, is funny, but I now I see why. I have to be that way because it's the only way to, to disrupt things, right? A disruptor is someone comes in and does something completely different and that's how you disrupt things. So I now, I now understand like um, that I have to kind of continue to do that too so that I, I do make, um, you know, a difference. 
And I, I, I just absolutely love it. I had a conversation with someone this morning who reached out to me and was like, hey, can we just talk? Because I've experienced a lot of what you have and it's so nice just to be able to talk to someone else that I can relate to. And I was like, absolutely. And then I had someone else share a story, a woman that I admire very much. And she's big in, um, in the mortgage industry. She's a keynote speaker. She speaks all around. We've never actually met. She messaged me yesterday. She texted me and she said, hey, I just want you to know I saw your video. And she didn't comment on it. She just liked it. But she separately sent me a message saying, hey, I don't, you don't know this, but my best friend in high school committed suicide. And I suffer, and she's like, and I myself suffer from major anxiety and all this stuff. And she was just like, thank you so much for like doing this. And then I have so many people like, keep fighting the good fight, Raquel, just keep fighting the good fight. Like, don't give up, keep talking about it, keep talking about it. So it's like, people are just, they're fueling the fire. You know what I mean? Like, had I done that? And then it was just like crickets and no one gave a shit, <laughs> you know? And and it didn't do anything, then it would have been a different situation. But the fact that it really like affected a lot of people in a way where they were like, you know, keep doing it. And now even more so it's, you know, especially with the pandemic right now, unfortunately you're getting even more and more people, yeah. you know, suffering from a lot of mental health issues. And so it's even more prevalent to do it, especially in the corporate world, because so many people in the corporate world have lost their jobs. So many small business owners are losing their businesses. So it's affecting business people in a way that um, I think not many people thought it was going to. And so now it's like, you have to talk about it. You have to. I it's, mean, <laughs> it's such, I, I've been getting messages and these, I don't know whether I told you yet, but these have really affected me in, in, in kind of, pure gratitude because a lot of people have sent me messages going i think it's always been amazing what you've been doing but just lately i've realized what you've been fighting for through covid it's showing what you've been fighting for there's no disparity this virus doesn't discriminate mental yeah. health doesn't discriminate so let's work together and 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 move forward with it all and covid yes the reality is there's a lot of people that are suffering at the moment it's also showing that humanity side of things and it's, it's the real people on a grassroots level that through a simple conversation like you had with somebody that reached out to you, it makes the world a difference and that one person that you can affect. And I think going back to kind of your career in marketing and the social media and the branding and things, the authenticity around it all, which is so essential, I think, is that people need to stop concentrating on kind of the followers, the likes, and how much attention they can get. Because if, if you are actually getting engagement from one person and then you have a goal of like each month getting maybe another two or three, if they're conversating with you, that's your audience. Mm -hmm. There's always going to be somebody that wants to hear what you've got to say. And that's your audience, isn't it? Is that what you've found? Yeah, I, it's, it's one person. Like I, I always, when I do videos, I say some, I, I try to point out, like if you can affect one person, in a positive way, then it is worth you putting yourself out there. Like I truly believe. And so I don't do the whole followers. I like, once again, that's another thing that I'm very unconventional with. I don't accept all my connection requests. I make sure that I look at their profile and if it doesn't make sense, I'm not going to connect with them because what's the point? Um, I don't, I don't try to have a certain amount of people follow me. Like I, I just don't believe in any of that. I'm more about like, yes, if I can connect with one person and I'm going to make one person, you know, happier 
better pot. Well, I don't know if I just put a smile on their face, if they were feeling like crap that day, then I don't care about anything else. So I always just focus on one person. Always. I think it's, it's essential. And what I've seen from you and also with your help with, with me going more into the corporate sector and kind of disrupting it is that there's so many people that you see that want that quick, quick route to success. And they think about the monetary gains and the monetary side, but you servicing people or you merely talking and building genuine connections through authenticity has seen you move leap and bounds with what you're doing and built relationships with people at the other side of the world. And like, you're not thinking about, Oh, this could lead somewhere. You're thinking about, Oh, I've helped that. But you're building a genuine relationship and that's what humanity is. And whether at the end that success comes with consistency and you're talking to people, but that's not ultimately your goal, is it? And I think that's these days, a lot of people are too caught up in, oh, well, I didn't get anything from it, so it didn't work. Like I've had with this campaign in the past going, so how long are you going to do this for? Like, how long can you keep it going? And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, really? Okay, so you're on a completely different path to me. Like, and, and, and no judgment because we're all, we're all on different paths. And me, what I've taken away from this campaign as well is that I've built genuine relationships and self-development has come leaps and bounds. So I might work full-time on whatever it is I do, but it's those connections. Who would have known I'd have been sat here talking to someone I've known for a few months, feeling like we're friends of 10-odd years in Washington, D.C.? Like, it's just... And I, I mean, you, I'm more blown away by it. I mean, honestly. And, and that's the thing is like, you know, even with me, I started my own business. I was in, I was doing a nine to five salary corporate job up until January and went out on my own. And the reason why I went out on my own is because I wanted to be able to help everybody and anybody and anywhere in this world with their personal brand and just help them. And I couldn't do that if I was just working for one company. So for me to do it and then suddenly two months in is a, there's a pandemic I mean, I easily could have just been like, you know what, I just need to give up on this dream and go back to work. And I've had people kind of be like, well, have you thought about just finding a job? I said, you know what, I didn't do all of this just to give up that easily. Like, I have to have faith that I am doing this, that my why is bigger than me having a paycheck right now. And I'm very blessed that I have a dad who's been helping me financially. Um, and so he's, he's been helping me. I do have a couple clients still, so they're paying me monthly. Um, you know, I had some money saved up, so I'm okay. So I, I told myself, you know what, Raquel, like, don't give up. Just keep doing what feels right. What feels right in your heart and in your gut. And everything led to me. It be just help people, Raquel, just help them. If it's, you know, talking about mental health awareness, if it's talking about personal branding and how to increase your engagement or your visibility on LinkedIn, just do it for free. Just give tips out, you know, just be someone that is being generous um, with their time and, and just what they do. And I can't tell you that, like, yeah, just the amount of connections, like really legit, meaningful connections that I made because of it is incredible because I do feel that you attract like those like-minded people. And that's who I want to be with. I want to be with people like you that we're doing it for the right reasons. Like I don't, I'm not, believe me, I'm not doing any of this for money. Like I'm not driven by money. I never have been ever. Even though I grew up very privileged, my dad's a doctor. I was very spoiled. You would think that I would be 
still kind of like, oh, I deserve this or that. No, if anything, it's the opposite because my parents, even though we were given everything we wanted, they were also very much like, you need to be humble. Like you need to uh, respect everyone. It doesn't matter if they're the CEO or the dishwasher in the back of a kitchen. Everyone is treated equally with the same amount of respect, period. You're not better than anybody else just because your dad's a doctor, like, or that you drive a whatever, like, you know, get over that. And so we were fed that. And so I still have that same mentality today where it's, it's not about the car that I drive or the person I have. Yes, I like nice things here and there. I'm not going to lie. Um, but that's not my end goal. <laughs> my end goal is to make an impact in yeah. this world, whether well, it's the tiniest little impact. And I want to, I want, you, you know, huh? You're doing it. Well, thank you. I mean, I ha it's kind of morbid the way I think. So I sometimes when I wake up, I go, okay, if I get hit by a truck, like if I die today, like how do I want people to remember, remember me? Like at my funeral, like I, what do I want my ex-husband to say about me? Like I'm very proud yeah. to know that my ex-husband would have wonderful things to say about me. My kids would have great things to say about me. My parents, my brother, my sister, my friends. And that's just my colleague. Like, that's how I live by like, okay, if something happened to me, like how are people going to remember, remember me? And that's how I kind of live my life essentially. Yeah. And it, it's so funny that I'm going to ask you what you've learned and then get back to your, your personal story. But what I have learned from some of the people that you've, you've enabled me to build relationships with and some of the people in LA that I know who, who run multi-million dollar companies that when the most successful people that you look up to and think they have the ultimate life and they've gone through severe adversity, what they have learned, they've been humbled by the experience and learned that nothing beats serving other people, how it can make someone else feel. And I think if we come to a place, and I do actually think that this time of COVID, the universe's way of going, guys, we've been throwing shit at you for some time now and you're not taking no, we're going to cripple you with a virus. Yeah, that's, that's oh, I agree. going more way, but like nobody saw a virus coming that's really crippled near enough the economy, the way that we interact, the way that people give service for money. It, it's coming back to essentially like we was on a virtual hang this morning with Joe Williams, who said the elders, they never had about a thousand years ago or something. A lot of the, the, the stuff that we do now, well, they didn't look at money in terms of like we need this we need that you do this for me and i'll give you that it, it's really drawing it back isn't it well and i mean and it's still sad because if you think about it like everyone keeps talking about like oh our economy our economy and business and business and business i'm like what about the lives like you know i don't know how it is in australia but in the states there's a lot of controversy right because you know, like alcohol stores are still open and they're like, how is that an essential business? And how is this and that? And, and, and so it's like, oh, they're just, it, alcohol brings a lot, the taxes are high. So it brings in revenue to the States and that's why they're doing it. They don't give a crap about who's working there. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of, you know, political stuff going on behind it. Um, but we're still functioning. Like the world is still working. Like we're still like we're still able to survive so it just goes to show you that yeah the business the money it really doesn't drive our lives yeah you know what i mean like that's not what's motivating us. yeah like right now it's it, what's motivating us are our families you know like or the, our friends or the just our home or you know the fact that we love to garden you know yeah we're going back and realizing like what do i actually like doing 
bringing you know? up, I don't know, it's, it's kind of going, I heard the other day, and it's similar, it may have been from you actually, it was like, I'm not bringing no money in, but I'm absolutely thriving and I'm so happy. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, I almost feel guilty that I'm like, okay. You know, like I, I was, when I was on the mastermind call with Julian the other day, we were talking and everyone's like, oh, whoa, whoa. And I'm like, okay, you know what? Is it bad that I'm actually in such a good headspace right now? And I feel so grateful and so blessed. And the fact that I can wake up and sleep in and drink my coffee and kind of like do my thing and, and all of that, like, is that bad? <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it's like, <laughs> you almost, you almost feel guilty because there are so many people that are suffering. And obviously I don't want to like diminish how other people feel, but at the same time, like it's okay for people to be happy that they're home and they're with their families and they're not having to go to an office and that all of this is happening. Like that's okay too. The way people are responding and the way people react, like that's, like they have the right to do that, you know, because that's another thing too, is I feel like, you know, and I'm sure you saw this at the beginning, everyone's like, oh, I'm going to learn a new language and I'm going to learn how to cook this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to work out every morning at 4am and I'm going to, it's like, and I'm going to spend the, you know, all this time with my children. And then obviously like two weeks in, people are like going nuts, right? Because they're realizing like, ah, um, it, but yeah, like no one should be telling you that you have to do all this amazing stuff while you're in your home either. You know, like I'm not coming out of this knowing a new language. I'm not coming out of this, like having lost weight and have a six pack. I've gained weight. I, you know, like I binged a bunch of Netflix shows and that's okay. I'm giving myself grace yeah. because that's how I personally needed to deal with this and cope with it. And it's okay. Like I'm not going to make myself feel guilty either because I didn't, do what I see on social media that everyone else is doing. Well, I think that's what we spoke about, wasn't it? Because there's so many people on there telling people and giving them the advice of going, keep busy, keep doing this, keep, but yeah. no, like if you need that time, just, just pull it back. And yeah, if you want to watch, uh, you know, yeah. If you want to watch an entire season of, of Ozark three um, <clears throat> in one, <laughs> in one day, and yeah. who could do it? I did that. And at the end of it, I was like, so what? Like, it's not the end of the world because I, I uh, laid on my couch for, you know, nine hours straight watching. But I have told you, I have told you, uh, like, I, I was on, um, I was doing a podcast with Christina Moses, star uh -huh. of a million little things. That is your yeah, mission, I saw some is of it. to get hold of it. Um, and that whole premise is on, on someone in corporate who then takes his life and it brings together that group of friends and it, it shares stories in their lives. And I was saying to her yesterday, I was like, what was the feeling like when you got that script and you're ready? Because in the US, in, in Australia, we've not really, I haven't seen a drama or anything that come out that's really addressed this. Whereas mm -hmm. in the US, there was obviously the controversial one, 13 Reasons Why. Yes. Really address it. Now, for me to watch that, I always say that controversy is caused when it creates people to actually pay attention. So in a sense, I was like, people, some people are outraged because it's made them go, oh shit, this is happening, but it's too much. Like we don't know how to process it. And I think by society, that's what kind of external sources, because we don't talk openly about it. A lot of people right. are divided and going, we're so shocked at seeing something like this, but it started the trend of going, okay, this is happening, this is real. And a million little things has kind of gone on that kind of journey. Um, 
And yeah, I just said to her the other day, I said, mine and my wife's favorite shows are Grey's Anatomy <laughs> and A Million Little Things because the acting, they just, they prolong the emotion. And it's like my storytelling, like you let people feel a piece of music or literature or film and it affects you. Like you want to be a part and you resonate and then you know that you're not essentially alone. But we went off topic there. What I'm going to do is pull it back to your personal <laughs> story. We, we, this podcast, if we do it like 40 minutes, it could go off like two hours talking to you. Oh, all day. <laughs> <laughs> but it is late in Washington, isn't it? Your personal story. Um, so as I always talk about, the campaign has been there to create the awareness. Now mm-hmm. we're, we're kind of, we're still essentially doing that, but changing the, the vernacular of ways in which people have overcome their adversities and don't disregard yes. the fact that some people, and I do, you go through shit some days as well. So it's not we've ever overcome. And disclaimer that we're not experts. We work with a lot of experts. Just, just experience. Right? Yeah, it's yeah. experience, lived experience. So if somebody is watching it and feel like giving it up because they've been to a psychologist that didn't work for them, through these stories and the podcast, we are basically telling the stories of the adversity that someone's been over, how they've come to do it, whether it's just been one thing or attributing factors to a different range. What was yours, Raquel? Um, That's a really good question because I'm still trying to kind of understand how I was able to come to a good place because, like I said, it was all much so much of a fog. And, you know, I just, I don't really remember the timeline. I just know that once I got out of it, I knew I never wanted to go back to that place because it was such a dark, dark place to be in. And I at least consciously knew that. So I had met my ex-husband at the time. And what's interesting is that I ended up moving out to Northern Virginia from sunny San Diego. Okay. San Diego, it's like 75 and sunny all day long, every day in the winter, the weather's great. People are outside. So you have that type of lifestyle Well, you come to Northern Virginia and it come winter, (laughs) (laughs) freezing, you know, and seasonal depression, you know, is a thing. And so I remember when I first moved out here, my ex-husband was nervous and I was nervous too, because I thought, oh crap. When the first winter kicks in, like, am I going to totally slip into a depression because of the weather and how it gets dark sooner and all of that? And so I really had to make it a point to be like, okay, if I feel a little bit kind of sad or something, like I got to do something to snap out of it. So I remember like, he always would say, Raquel, if you ever feel like you're in a funk, because that's what we would call it. He's like, are you in a funk? I'm like, I'm kind of getting there. He's like, all right, go do whatever you need to do. Go to the mall, go buy something like do whatever it takes for you to get out of that place. And so I think because I started training myself in that way, I just naturally, I think, just started finding ways to cope. And so I started going to the gym. Um, you know, I, like I said, I loved shopping. So I'd go to the mall, which is not, you know, the, the healthiest thing, but if that's how I needed to cope at the time, that was how I coped with it. Um, I, you know, got a job working with kids that had disabilities. So kind of, just knowing that I was helping these young kids, it just made me feel good about myself. And, and yeah, it was just little things like that. And then I just, at, over time, started getting back to painting and realized how much I love to paint. I got into yoga and then I realized like, you know, when I was teaching yoga, like it was the best thing that I could have done for myself was to become a yoga instructor and teach. Um, I love to dance. So it was just like, I naturally started realizing like, okay, if I just do things that I like, 
then it's going to, it's going to help my brain and my mind go into, go to places that are good. Um, like you said, it doesn't mean that I don't have my moments, but I now give, like I was saying, you know, with giving myself grace, I've had days where I stay in bed almost all day long. I allow myself like one time a month because this is going to sound kind of weird. I have really vivid dreams, very vivid dreams, like where they almost seem real. Like I can smell, taste, um, you know, all of it, right? All the senses. And so sometimes I like to be asleep rather than to be awake because I like to, it's like more exciting for me to be asleep. It's not so much like, oh, I'm really sad and depressed and I don't want to be awake. It's more like it's more exciting. <laughs> You're living through some dreams. You know, I'm here in a pandemic. There's nothing to do. Might as well sleep. But I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't, once again, I don't feel guilty about it. I just let it, ha- I'm like, okay, so I had a day. It's, it's the next day's a new one, right? Like I don't dwell on things. And I think that like before I used to dwell on a lot. Now I'm just like moving on, Raquel, moving on, like, I talk about how you can experience the emotion, you sit with it, you acknowledge that emotion, sit with it for a little bit. If I get sad and I need to cry, I'll have a good cry. And then I'll be like, okay, it's okay. Now let's just move on and let that pass, (laughs) you know? And, um, And so, yeah, I've just naturally figured out how to cope. And I'm, I guess I'm lucky because a lot of people don't, aren't able to kind of naturally figure that out. So it is important, I guess, for, for people to still go to therapy. I don't go to therapy. Um, I probably should, but I I don't. Um, I never got back on medication after that whole episode. So yeah, they really, I, it's just tools that I've, I've figured out work for me. And I think that's the way though, isn't it? Like in, in all honesty, like with the name of the campaign, we're all imperfectly perfect. And what works for one person might not work for the other. And essentially that's why sharing stories, you just know that there is always another way there just to keep on going and just keep trying and it's baby steps. Yeah. And, 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 and I love what Julian said to me the other day. Cause he's like, you know, Raquel, he's like, it's amazing how you can talk about it and still smile and be positive. He's like, how many people can talk about depression and committing suicide, you know, or attempting suicide and still like, and And he's like, it's because you, it's a scar. It's not a wound. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's a scar. It's, it's healed up. It's, it's there, but it's healed up. It's not an open wound. Unfortunately, um, my brother, he's, his, he's wounded. Like he still, he's going to be 40 this year and he still struggles and he still kind of like lives in the past and still lives through everything and just won't let it go. And it's, for me, it's really difficult as his sister, his older sister, who has been able to let that shit go and move on and for him not to be able to, it's frustrating. But at the same time, I can't help him unless he wants to help himself. You know what I mean? Like he has to be the one that's like, you know what, I'm ready to just let this go and not be a victim anymore and to do what I need to do. But he's just still in that space and so I get it where some people are, are, are going to be stuck there, yeah. you know, and, 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 and just, yeah, like the, and now as I talk about it, it really does make me very sad. And, and unfortunately it's, it's caused rifts in our family and it's caused a lot of pain and I don't really talk about it cause it's not my story to share, you know, like I could easily be like, Oh, and my brother suffers too. And this and that, but no, that's not, it's not my place you know, to talk about his struggles. I would love for him to be open a little bit more open about it. Cause who's to say that 
you know, he can help people that are still kind of in his place. Um, but you know, that's, that's, that's his journey. Mm -hmm. Like you said, I can only talk about my journey and my experience and, and how I've been able to get on the other side. Yeah. And you are doing some incredible stuff, man. Like see, see, to see as soon as you post something such as one of those videos and it, six to 10,000 views and comments are going up like 100, 200. And I'm just reading them all. And I'm, I'm even blown away. Like I've done this campaign obviously for 15, 16 months going on. And I still yeah. blown away when it just touches somebody. When you get that one message, it can be as simple as just like, I, I got one that always stands out. And it was like, I showed my daughter some of the images that you'd taken of some of her favorite actresses or actors that she'd seen. And that night we actually sat and she openly spoke about having some, she didn't know what it was, but she was having suppressed feelings, emotions. Turned out it was depression because they took her then to a doctor. Mm -hmm. But seeing those images of someone that she looked up to just sparked a conversation. And I take that everywhere with me. I'm just like, you just don't know, do you? Well, not only that, like, I don't really talk about it, but like my kids, I'm very open about it with my kids. My son's 19 and seven, and my daughter's going to be 16. Well, let me tell you, one of the greatest gifts that I could give to my kids is that of them being able to come to me and talk to me. Like, so last summer or two summers ago, I just remember my daughter was like, Hey, can we have like a little girl's trip for your birthday? And I was absolutely, so we drove to North Carolina and we were in the hotel room um, at one point and she's like, you know, mom, one of the main reasons why I wanted to have a girl's trip with you is because I wanted to talk to you about something. And I was like, all right. And so she's like, you know, I've been really sad. I don't know if I'm depressed. I've like been sleeping a lot. Like this is, and she just really opened up to me. And I said, all right, well, do you feel like you need to go see someone? Like, do you want to go? See? Cause most kids are, don't want to talk to their parents about stuff like that. So I gave her that option. Cause I didn't want her to think that like, you know, I wanted her baby to share things with other people she needed to. And she's like, mom, why would I want to go see a therapist if I can talk to you? And, I, and like in that moment, like, I just felt like, wow, like this is incredible that I have a teenage daughter that wants to talk to me about how she's feeling because she knows that I've experienced that. Yeah. And so we have conversations. She has moments where she comes over here and she'll be, and she'll open up to me. And a lot of times it's just sadness, right? Cause like, I know Julian and uh, Jordan talked about this and he talked about it on uh, Eden's podcast, Eden Kim, how he wasn't depressed. He was just bored right? Like there's a difference. So like, even with my daughter, I go, sweetie, there's a difference between sadness and depression. And I go, and I feel like you're just sad and that you're a teenager and you're dealing with hormones and you know, certain, you're feeling what most teenage girls feel, right? So don't think that you're like slipping into something that you shouldn't be. I said, but if you ever feel a certain way, like remember, always come to me, mom, I always will. And, and she even said, I appreciate mom. I appreciate that I can come to you and that you're my biggest supporter. And so that's another reason why I talk about it because if I can help my kids through it and not have to go through what I went through, like, oh my gosh, even my son, he, he, my son had the opposite kind of effect. And this is kind of interesting. And I was so proud of him too. So he, um, and I'm, he's probably going to kill me for like talking about him, but hopefully he doesn't listen to this <laughs> Either way, he had rushed for a fraternity in his college, at his college, and he didn't get a bid, right? So he was really upset, and it affected him. And here was his first wave, um, first year in college, so just that part being away from home and then not being accepted in a fraternity that he wanted to be in. 
he was like in a funk and he apparently told his dad. So then the second semester, he ended up getting a bid for the fraternity, right? And so he admitted to my ex, he was like, yeah, you know, I definitely was feeling depressed. Um, you know, I was, I was definitely like in a place where I could have like really gone off the deep end. He goes, but I kept thinking about mom. He goes, and I feel kind of badly that I'm saying this about mom, but I didn't want to take the easy way out like she did in college. Like, so he thought I was taking an easy way out by attempting suicide. Like he saw it very differently. And he's like, uh-uh, I'm not going there. I'm not going where my mom went, where she ended up having to drop out from college. And so he himself was able to tell himself like, you know what, Nicholas, like you're stronger, you're going to get through this. And so he had the mental toughness to get out of it. And, and he later admitted to me that that's how he felt. And I said, you know what, bud, don't feel guilt, like upset or badly. If anything, I am so freaking proud of you to be able to acknowledge, acknowledge that and know that like, yeah, I don't want to get, go to that place that my mom was at. Like, if anything, a lot of what we experience is like our mistakes are so that you can learn from them too. And so he, the fact that he like took that and was able to, to turn it around. Like, yeah, I was so incredibly proud. I was like, wow. I'm like, good for you, bud. I said, believe me, I don't feel badly. You're not making me feel badly at all. You're making me feel so proud. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and I think for anybody to be able to have those moments with their children is incredible. So I think that's another reason why people need to open up, you know, like, don't you want your kids to, to learn that it's okay to not be okay? Like you say, mm. and uh, yeah, cause my kids, they've already had uh, classmates commit suicide. They've already, my son, we've already been to a funeral. Wow. You know, a 15, 16 year old who ended up shooting himself. Like, the fact that my kids are already experiencing things like that and then their social media. So that drives me too. That's another reason why I'm like Raquel to keep talking about it because this is a good thing for your children as well. Yeah. And I think that's, um, it's essential. The more, the more that we talk about it, the more it's going to get out there and like, we are causing so many ripple effects. <laughs> like, I know. I love yeah, it. The people like, I, I just can't believe that the amount of people that have been connected to all over the world and seeing yourself connected all over the world. And it's kind of through a commonality of mental health. So people of all professions of all stature, doesn't matter race, creed, social stat, whatever. Everyone's wanting to talk about it now. So I think mom, I can't speak now more than <laughs> ever. Like, I think we're doing an amazing thing. So, yeah, yeah, we've we've been speaking near enough an hour. We could go on all day. So what I, I warned you. I warned you. I'm like, <laughs> and you're like, you're basically like, hey, we're gonna have to talk for 35, 40 minutes. I'm thinking like, oh, psh, piece of cake. <laughs> gonna go on. I got but, this. But um, I do want to thank you for coming on and everything you do for the campaign. Like you, huge advocate, and I'm glad that we obviously. Became, became, we're good friends through this and we speak all the time. And, um, where can people find out more information about Eureka? Um, so basically like LinkedIn is, is my biggest platform. That's where I share the most. So that's where people will get to know me. Yep. The best is going to LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. It's all just my name. You know, Instagram, it's like Raquel.Boris. But yeah, essentially LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get to see me, you know, dance and being goofball too. <laughs> You'll get to see wow. my funny side. 
Thank you again. I do appreciate it. And for anybody who's wanted to catch up on this episode, just simply head and subscribe to iHeartRadio or Spotify and download the Imperfectly Perfect podcast where you can check out this episode and many more. Until then, guys, stay safe and keep on fighting the good fight and spreading the word about raising the collective conscious to talk about mental health. Yes. <laughs>